When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Age of Radio. Off a screen and country special presentation. Coming up, he came from nothing, apparently, and conquered everything. But he didn't. He didn't really know. He came from something, and he conquered something. Yes, that's it. That's it. And this week, we're taking a look at Napoleon from 2023. Now, Napoleon was from 1815. But this is from 2023. All this and more bullshit because I'm improvising this week on For Screen and Country. Coming to you folks live from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Normally we would be in France, of course, for this sort of thing. But no, this week I have made the journey from my hometown of River Habit all the way to Fredericton, New Brunswick to visit my pal Brendan in person. Hello, Brendan. Hello, it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be here. I just for one want to welcome you to your own house. Thank you. Um, I often don't get welcomed in my own house, and it's really—I always say—it's—it's it's a real—it's uh, real. Um downward slide of good manners in this country where you enter someone's home and you don't even welcome them into their own home. Good manners, by the way, will become a, uh, a little theme in this week's episode. Yes, absolutely. Manners are important. We've, In fact, if there's one thing this podcast can be known for, it is our desire and our drive and our insistence that manners are the most important part of watching movies. Mm-hmm. And not womaners, okay, people? That's right, that's right. This is manners. Manners? Oh, manners. Now, now it's manners, not womaners. It is raining manners here in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Hallelujah. And, yeah, so... This is a podcast. This is a podcast. I'm doing my funny voice, but for real folks, welcome. This is a rare live interaction between Brendan and I mm. for your ears uh, here in the center of the movie culture in North America, Fredericton, New Brunswick. Yes, uh, and this is a. I'm sure you heard it in the intro, but this is called for screen. Ah, good track. Now, Jason, we. This is this is a bit of a different thing we're doing this week. Mm. We just had our rankings episode last week, of course, to start yes. off the year. Um, and before we jump back right back into the list, um, we decided to take a trip to the movies. <laughs> 
get your movies and get your popcorn and get your movies with some popcorn. Put some butter on it. Put some butter on it. You got to butter your popcorn. Put it in your mouth. And thank you for that, uh, the Four Screen and Country singers, Jamboree, whatever you want to call them. Yes, we went to the movies and we watched Napoleon mm-hmm. starring Joaquin Phoenix oh. and Vanessa Kirby. Oh, Francais, mon dieu. And Ian McNeese and oui, oui. some other peoples. Uh, a lot of, uh, was there was there any actual French people in the movie? I feel like there was a, they were, mo- they mostly had very few lines. <laughs> They were kind of like uh, it's like when we saw um, uh, uh, carry on up the Kyber. It's like yeah, there were there were some natives in the movie, but they were only extras. It was the same here. There was French people, but they're probably only extras. Thankfully, not as much uh, blackface in this movie as carry on up the Kyber. No, I can I can vouch for that. We did not see much outside of uh, you know powder burns and such. Now, Jason, usually we talk about, of course, the the top 100 war movies as determined by the Horse Killing Magazine, Paste Magazine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but again, this isn't going to be something different. We're talking about a movie that's currently in theaters. We might do this a couple more times. It was a really fun uh, excursion there. Yeah, it's been a while. The last one we did, if I remember correctly, was 1917. Mm, that was a And while that was, ago. well, 107 years ago. That was pre-pandemic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was pre- well, pre-Spanish flu. <laughs> we all remember. We all remember. The, the Of course, I was uh, very anti-vax when it came to the Spanish flu. He was, he was. After he died at Antietam, he'd uh, always had a, an issue with uh, vaccines. Yes, of course. Uh, so, anywho, um, we're not an anti-vax podcast. We, uh, we are pro uh, good stuff. So, J- Jason, we, we're, we're, not, we're veering off the list. We're talking about Napoleon. Uh, I guess I'll just, I know this is a brand new movie, and I don't know how we gained access to it, but I guess I'll just hit the theme. There was a man who ruled Europe with a fist, and his name was Napoleon. Napoleon. He was a man of height that was normal for the time. So don't you think that he was short because he wasn't short? He was a man called Napoleon. And that's the theme song you all know and love. Uh, You've been watching the trailers. We're talking about Napoleon 2023. Jason, this was a movie... You were uh, pretty stoked to watch. You probably would have watched this anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a long Ridley Scott historical fan. You know, Gladiator. That was my, that was the first DVD I ever rented. Uh, also saw it in the theater. Loved that movie. Big fan of Kingdom of Heaven, which we're going to watch later. Um, so yeah, later today. This is a four-hour episode. <laughs> long, long day. Um, but yeah, so I, I always enjoyed Ridley. Uh, of course, Alien and stuff. So when Ridley had a new historical movie coming out. And I'm pretty sure the last two that I could think of that he really did were Robin Hood and Exodus, neither of which particularly interested me, mm-hmm. and neither of which I don't think had much in the way of reviews. And again, I have to remind Jason, Robin Hood's not a real person. Well, but he might have been. I mean, hey, Robin's as real as Jesus. I'm going to say that. Wow. Hot take. Uh, Yeah, babe. So, yeah, we went and saw Napoleon because, of course, Napoleon is one of those figures that has seemingly had been bereft of movies about him well what was now going into the history a little bit was this not um supposed to be a stanley kubrick movie at one point well kubrick certainly had done uh, an immense amount of pre-production working for many years on his napoleon movie i don't know how much this dna shares specifically with kubrick's research but 
famously, yeah, he was a guy that wanted to make his Napoleon opus. And, and unfortunate for him, there was another movie that came out around that time called Waterloo, which we're going to watch later. Mm-hmm. And uh, Waterloo, unfortunately, bombed at the box office. Again, a third movie on this episode. We'll talk about it later. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but because Waterloo bombed, Hollywood didn't have much interest in a Napoleon movie again right. at that point. So never happened. And then, yeah, Napoleon's just a guy that's kind of gotten the short shrift as far like you, you know, there's stuff about the Napoleonic Wars. You have like the Sharp series on television that kind of surrounds that era. But Napoleon himself, I feel like, hasn't gotten that many movies outside, of course, of his wonderful famous appearance in uh, the greatest movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Of course, the most accurate depiction yep. of Napoleon. 100%. Um, but I would argue uh, maybe he's even bigger. Maybe he's an even bigger dick in this movie. We'll talk about it. But, but uh, yeah, this this is the one I heard. I heard was coming out. I heard it was Ridley Scott. Um, it's get, apparently, I mean, not to jump the gun, but it's getting very polarizing uh, reviews mm-hmm. from from critics and audiences alike. Absolutely. Um, I don't think people were prepared for how much of a comedy it was, <laughs> but uh, we'll get into that. But yeah, just uh, we don't have to get into the plot because we just saw this goddamn thing. Yeah. We didn't have time well, to make big notes, but let's just let's just talk about this movie, Jason. I mean, really, the plot. If you want to boil it down, there's not so much a plot as it is. It's a biopic, right? It's a portrait of this guy and it's from his kind of early beginnings as a as a young officer this is i believe he first shows up in the movie when he's already an artillery officer when, in the french army when marie antoinette is getting beheaded yeah, during the during the revolution that's when he kind of first comes to prominence and then we follow him through the movie through him uh becoming a general through him becoming one of the consuls to eventually become be crowned emperor of the french uh, empire and then just croaking and while in exile dying yeah, at the end one of the most hilarious shots in the film <laughs> but yeah so and and this is like this is his whole life and this is the problem with movies like this uh sometimes is they oh wow jason just lit up a cigarette he's serious right now <laughs> listen listen to me. uh this is the problem with movies like this sometimes is that they bite off more than they can chew this is a two two hour 45 minutes maybe yeah around that something like that and we have to cram this guy's entire adult life into that space. And that's tough because Napoleon's a guy who did a lot and saw a lot and killed a lot. Fucked and a lot. A lot and, um, but obviously movies are movies and you have to do your best with what you have. Ridley Scott, uh, famously not really concerned with historical accuracy, uh, at least for this movie, because he's been out in the media responding to criticism about the inaccuracies in the movie being like, you know what? Who cares? And ultimately, like, he's kind of right. He's kind of right. Honestly. Because at the end of the day, what matters is we have a good movie or a bad movie. I think what bothers me the most about historical inaccuracy is when it totally distorts the vision of who the person is and it's dangerous. Yeah, when when the movie becomes the default pop cultural understanding of a given historic event. Like, if somebody made a uh, a Donald Trump biopic in 20 years and their biopic just ignored everything that's happened in the last 10 years, I think that would be a dangerous thing to put out there. Yeah, yeah. It would be something to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> whoa, 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 we're skipping this part. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, I just uh, want to focus on his business, uh, his business achievements. Yeah, I mean, we could dig, we could do this all day. We could dig up movies where there are beliefs about history that are based in movies that have stuff for dramatic effect. Like, I mean, one of one of my favorite movies, A Man for All Seasons, that we mm. watched during that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not historically accurate, uh, uh, really. Uh, yeah. uh, Thomas More is, v- I think that's who it was, is very much a hero in that movie. And in real life, he was maybe not so much of a hero. Yeah, I mean, a hero, I mean framing him a hero as, in the sense that he uh, stood up to Henry. That- yeah, he, he, if you're a Catholic, he's a hero. Yeah, sure. 
not not a great overall guy, but maybe good in the sense that, you know, this is a character that stuck to his morals. But we're not here to talk about that movie. We're here to talk about Napoleon 2023, Ridley Scott. Uh, big, epic, huge movie. Uh, not epic movie, thank God. No. Uh, budget for this movie, $200 million, Jason. Between okay. between 130 to $200 million is what it says on the official budget. Now, this movie is still in theaters, very much so. We just watched it. I know it's January right now when you're listening to this, but spoiler alert, we recorded this like a month ago. Yeah. And uh, um, it's still, at this point of the recording, it's made already $136 million, and it's only been in theaters for like uh, 10 days. Yeah. I mean, I'd say this movie is going to make its money back, it's which doing, I mean, and it's I'm surprised. It's, it's no, you know, it's no like Avengers opening weekend or anything. Like but that. I'm honestly shocked it's up to this point already. Yeah. Because I, that, that's that's huge for a movie like this. They, you, we just saw Killers of the Flower Moon come out mm-hmm. with a two, its $200 million budget, to which I said, Marty, you're not getting that back. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, it's like, amazing. I'm sure it's great. I can't speak to it. But, I mean, does it feature massive Napoleonic-era battles? I mean, yeah, all throughout. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's one of the strengths of a Ridley Scott. See, now, we've watched, uh, of course, we've watched 20 war movies so far yeah. on the list and, and various Official others. list yeah. ones. And then and various others beyond yeah. that. And so we've seen how budget really can figure into how mm. a battle is portrayed. And we've seen a lot of very creative... Uh, work by directors to make these scenes really come across you know with the gravity they deserve on a small budget steel helmet absolutely uh, and then we've seen the opposite uh, <laughs> people with a lot of a big budget to do it shitty yeah. no I just mean an opposite like with, with big budgets like yeah. Hacksaw Ridge uh, for example or at least a bigger budget what Ridley Scott is good at doing and, and this happens in a lot of his historical movies is that we are um we get a much broader view of what's going on. We get a much mm. more pulled back view because the resources are there, my friend, to get it done. Uh, so in this movie, we see, especially in, in the final Waterloo sequence, but of course at Austerlitz and various other like battles we see, we get these really wide shots, really sweeping shots. We get a sense of the scale mm-hmm. of these armies. Uh, uh, we get a sense of their tactics, especially uh, in the Waterloo scenes where we see British troops forming into cavalry squares and seeing them actually using that tactic against cavalry to protect themselves. And that's really cool. And I mean, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to be that guy that's like, oh, CGI is terrible. Movies that are older, than, or movies that are newer than 1982 are bad. But like, it is nice every now and then to see a movie on this scale with more limited amounts of CGI than you would expect. Yeah, or uh, I, I think... It's CGI used to enhance. Exactly. CGI, like, using to enhance a scene and increase its scale. Like, that to me is the ideal CGI use. Like, I'm, we certainly have CGI extras at some point, but yeah. it's from such a ways back that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But but you get, like, the but the battlefield scenes, you feel like you're on the battlefield. I will say that. As far as the battlefield scenes go... The, the, he uses real locations, clearly. Yeah. Um, and... and, and a multitude of extras, real ones as well, uh, but like the just the 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 close combat, the the gunfire, the cannons. I love when the cannons are firing and they actually do like rear back a bunch. Oh, like yeah. that that's that's a detail that's not in a lot of other movies. And it, I, I, one thing I like, and it's so rare because you know obviously movies, right? But you actually see cannonballs. 
in yeah. the air, which you would because cannonballs are not bullets. They don't go so fast you can't see them. Like you can see cannonballs, and we see them in this movie. There's actually a really brutal scene, and this is a famous moment, I believe, in Napoleon's history, is that during uh, one of the royalist uprisings in Paris, he went out and fired cannon full of grape shot into uh, crowds of, of civilians, like protesting civilians, and basically turned them into mincemeat. They were basically turned their cannons into shotguns. Uh, so it was pretty brutal. And we see that in the movie. We see that scene, and it's uh, pretty disturbing. And it's so pretty quick, too. Yeah. In a, in a two-hour, 45-minute movie, it's pretty quick. It's pretty quick. And now, for a movie that does have a lot of battle scenes, we must point out, this movie isn't like wall-to-wall battle, because the major kind of, uh, I don't know if you could even call it a B-plot, I guess the parallel plot, is the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine. Which has, which is a famous historical relationship, a famously rocky relationship. They had issues with each other. They had tumult, and we see some of that in the movie. Um, but ultimately, it's pretty clear in this. Like, I guess maybe a lesser filmmaker could just turn Josephine into some sort of a manipulative harpy, which has definitely been uh, uh, seen in the past. I have no doubt. Sure. I'm, I mean, I'm sure. I don't know for sure because I haven't seen it. But we'll remember, keep this in our minds when we get to Waterloo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, she was definitely, they were a power couple for sure. And I think yeah. they did support each other. And, and Josephine was a big part of Napoleon getting to where he got to. Um, but but I do love that in the movie that, that his love for her is genuine. He's not always the best. He, of course, he fucking leaves Egypt to come home when he heard she's been fucking around on him. But he still doesn't turf her. Although he does actually throw her, her luggage out on the lawn, which I laughed at because that's such a like modern thing to yes, do. Yes, I wrote that down too. The, when she gets home and she sees all the luggage on the front lawn, I was like, what is this? Like, what is this? Like fucking 1990s yeah. like teen comedy? Um, but no, the, their relationship is handled very interestingly. And yeah, they definitely, Ridley Scott, as, as surprising as it is for, you know, a late 80s old man mm. <laughs> director um he does take the man to task a lot i would say maybe even more so than he does with uh josephine because napoleon is not portrayed as a uh a, a very good guy <laughs> he's uh certainly in his relationship he's kind of a cuck i mean and literally so because he he seems to you know his wife cheats on him but he's still not going to get rid of her because he loves her that much yeah he well it, because i think in the beginning of the movie i think when they're when they're getting married, I think she's, she's seeing it very much as a marriage of necessity. Uh, what am I trying to say? Necessity? necessity. Thank you. Words uh, are difficult. Um, she sees a marriage of necessity. Whereas I, I mean, I think he's like, you know, he's really into her. He really sees it as a lot. And I think maybe she gradually does start to feel things for him, but it, it's, it, the movie also doesn't tell you for sure if that's, True or not? I th I, th I think it is. By the end of the film, I think I got the idea that there was a real there was a real connection, as rocky as it was. Well, yeah, because they kind of stuck together through thick and thin, even when Napoleon actually divorces her so that he can marry someone else and have a, an heir. And despite that, he still clearly and 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 in, in the scene we see it, he's both of them hate that they have to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe Josephine Moore, since she doesn't really have a say in it, but Napoleon gets to be like, well, I got to have a kid. I mean, if you can't give me a kid, I got to do something about it. But obviously, he would want nothing more than for her to have the kid because he loves her. And then, of course, uh, there was nothing inappropriate about the new wife that he got, right? Oh, I don't know if she was the 15-year-old one. She but... was the 15-year-old one. <laughs> well, they don't, but what, I love, what I love in that scene is when uh, he asks the czar... Uh, if yeah, he's basically like the equivalent of like someone coming up and be like, "Do you have a sister?" Yeah. Um, and then he says, "You know, my sister spoken for." He's like, "What about the other sister?" And he's like, "Well, she's 15." And his response is, "It's a detail." Yeah, it's a detail. We'll, we'll we'll get past it. 
Yikes, Roo, Harvey. <laughs> I don't know why I picked up Harvey. Kevin. What's well, it's Kevin. Sure. Because as far as I know, Harvey was at least with women of age. Well, as far as we know. As far as we know. Um, uh, he was a noble man who stood for noble things. Also, great sequence I want to point out, uh, that the Battle of Austerlitz, which I don't know much about. I'm going to have to read up on it. Um, but in this, and at least in this version of the movie, they they basically fake out the, the army, the Austrian army that they're fighting. I think they're fighting the Austrians. Uh, maybe the Austrians and Russians, but they like come rushing into this town and Napoleon's got forces hidden on the side and he and he basically causes them to retreat across a frozen lake and then opens fire with his cannons on the lake and just hitting the ice and just smashing the ice up and dumping guys into the water. Like, wow, what a what a visual feast to see. And I again, I don't know if that's what happened, but if it did, that's brutal. <laughs> uh, two things I want to know, I want to get your take on that Ridley does in this movie that I think um, certainly not everyone would do in a, in a historical uh, drama, bi- biopic, biopic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, one thing he does is he, uh, on-screen identification of certain characters, like yeah. historical people as we go. I'll say this. It doesn't bother me, no. but it didn't help me. <laughs> it, uh, You know what? It's it, I can see why he did it, because understandably, Americans don't have a great understanding of historical French pol- political figures, and I would honestly wonder if the French would. Uh, well, there's some Russian figures, too. He does it for Tsar Nicholas and all yeah, that. Yeah, he, he points out a few important people, like the foreign minister and Tsar Nicholas and the, the emperor of, of Austria, and the, you know, basically but, giving us a... You know, us, the dumb, non-history reading audience, a little bit of context. But this is a movie where there's so many moving parts. There's so many characters. That, like, ultimately, I'm like, it's not going to make a difference. I'm not going to remember who this yeah. is. It's less important. The, the main issue is the Wayne guy, right? Napoleon. Yeah. That's the guy we're following. We don't need to worry about, like, I was hoping to see some of the other French people I knew of, but I don't know if they were, like, like my, like Michel Ney was a, was a field, field marshal that was one of Napoleon's confidants mm-hmm. and... Maybe he was in the movie. Maybe he wasn't. And certainly, if Michelle Ney was in this movie, this movie would end up on the Paste magazine uh, list just for the the name being related to horses. Absolutely, uh, they couldn't. They wouldn't be able to avoid it. And Michelle Ney has an interesting story, and mm-hmm. uh, that would make a great movie too. Maybe, maybe that's a whole other movie, right? Again, you're you're like you said at the beginning, he's trying to encompass this man's like the main portion of this man's life, and he's yeah. got two hours and forty five minutes to do it. Um, and it really comes, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, with most Ridley Scott historical epics, at some point there'll be a director's cut, or what well, was something, oh, yeah. like like with Kingdom of Heaven, where Kingdom of Heaven's theatrical cut is okay, but the director's cut is far better. And P.S., that's the one we will discuss, yeah. because that's the one the list mentions. Yes. Um, so, but I'm wondering if there's some stuff, because I felt like, so he goes to Russia, which obviously is a big point in Napoleon's life, because that's kind of the last, ma- at least in the movie, certainly, that's the last major operation he pulls out before he gets... Uh, essentially dismissed as emperor mm, uh, exiled. exiled yeah um but he goes to yeah he goes to uh russia and then they basically cut away from russia after a battle and then it's like all right you gotta abdicate yeah so so he basically goes straight from russia to yeah being forced to abdicate and then being exiled to elba and he's at elba for about five minutes and he's like hey i'm going back which which you know he was at elba for a year and he did go back and that that's the thing like this movie I, I think this movie might have worked better if it had just been about the 100 days, uh, the period from when he returns from Elba and then until Waterloo. That, you think they maybe try to put too much in, in an... I'm wondering, yeah. if, if And I'm, I I have to imagine, again, I'm not super clear on the history of uh, uh, Napoleon movies, but I feel like there's probably been a movie about the 100 days of Napoleon, like that, that particular return. Um, but, uh, you know, for what it is... 
it, it gets the highlights. Like I, I think part of the reason they didn't do just a hundred days is because then you have to focus on Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the big one. But like, you don't get Austerlitz or any of the other like interesting kind of battles. Well, and I wonder too if this is Ridley trying to be like, well, the because the, the you would argue you could. I mean, I think you could argue that the main focus is the relationship. At the end of the day, you do have, you know, you obviously you have the wars, you have the, the battles he won and everything and the politics behind it. But I think the, the when you come back around to the main story, it's Napoleon and Josephine. So I think in order to have that, I think he needed to widen his scope, right? I don't yeah. think if he just focused on Waterloo or if he just focused yeah, on the 100 days, you wouldn't have the start and finish of that relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, because Josephine dies at a certain point, which I was surprised. I thought she may have outlived him, but no. She you thought didn't. she was still alive? <laughs> yeah, today I thought she was still alive. I thought yeah. she was the last last remnant of the Napoleonic well, era. Well, it's weird because I saw her have a credit for uh, script supervisor. Oh. I thought that was I thought that was bizarre. Maybe it's her uh, her relative. Maybe. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that Ridley Scott does, and I know you knew this going in, and I knew this going in, and we talked about it before we even watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie takes the Valkyrie route, yeah. and that no, and that almost nobody. There are a few exceptions, but the main people for sure. Um, the main people for sure don't have a French accent. Like Joaquin Phoenix is not doing a French accent. Vanessa Kirby is not doing a French accent. Um, What do you think about that? I mean, I'm generally fine with that because it's like, I mean, unless you're really going to go to the trouble of training your crew to speak in French accents. uh, Well, not crew. (laughs) You train your crew. All the gaffers have to speak it. All the producers, all the line, the script supervisors, everybody. Where where do you want the light? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Where where do you want the light? Uh, Oh, merci. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot of work to get people to talk in believable French accents, and it's mm-hmm. usually not worth it. So well, I understand why they did it. I mean, really, they if they wanted to go with French accents, they probably should have just cast French actors to speak it in English, or do it, or better yet, just do it in French and yeah. subtitle it. While I support the idea of them not making them do it, and just going a little bit to what you just said, I'm a, I'll make the counter argument. As much as I like, as much as Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby are both great in this movie, um... You could have just cast French actors. Yeah. I mean, why? I mean, it would have made sense and it probably would have, like. What's Jean Dujardin doing these days? Yeah. What's. Uh, the artist came out a while ago. Come on, give him something else. Surely we can. Surely Gerard Depardieu would finally oh, want to be able Lord. to play Napoleon. Oh, I feel bad for Fat, whatever. Drunk Napoleon. Oh, what I feel bad for whatever female lead yeah. he has in this movie, knowing some of the recent allegations against him. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I got to say about, like, I like Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin! Joaquin! I like Joaquin. I like Joaquin Phoenix. I, I love Gladiator. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Commodus, he's wonderful. Recently saw Bo is Afraid. Joaquin Phoenix oh, kills it. what a movie. Yeah, great movie. Yeah. I don't really like his performance in this movie. I think he's pretty wooden. And I don't know if that's, like, if he's accurately reflecting Napoleon's personality and that's just what the guy allegedly was like, or... But it feels very formal. Now, Vanessa Kirby, on the other hand, I think her performance is great. I think she fucking dives into it. She nails it. She sounds genuine. But but Joaquin's performance in Napoleon just feels very low energy and 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 kind of like not a lot to it. This is actually shocking to me. And this is why I told Jason, as soon as we left the movie, I don't want to hear a fucking word because I wanted everything to come out fresh on this recording. So I had no idea of this. Um, I could see what you're saying, um, but I think his low key performance is, Part of it, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, no, I did enjoy him in the movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, definitely, I'm not saying he's he's certainly not an untalented guy, and he does it fine. It's I definitely like, understand where you're coming from, um, but I will say some of the highlights of the movie are 
just little moments from him, like when he's when I mean, because he's such an impish like incel <laughs> incel character, kinda yeah. And when he's like when he's when he's ca- like calling over to his wife, like when he sees Vanessa Kirby like with some form of undress, and he's like, he kind of sounds like your impression when we did that Joya Noel episode of the. Yeah, actually, I kind of laughed a little bit because that's what I was thinking when he did it. But yeah, there's literally a scene where she's like, she just got her like shoulder exposed, and he's like, my beautiful wife, and then he's basically begging for sex, and she's like, I just had my hair set, and he just comes up and fucking doggy styles are right there. Yeah. By the way, the sex in this movie is all very functional. It's uh, it's clothed and it's doggy style, and that's that. But that's what it should be. Because it should, I, I don't think it should be. I don't think there should be like beautiful, like elegant, sexy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Napoleon always struck me as a rather practical guy, and sex to him, I imagine, was a practical thing. He enjoyed it, but it was like uh, I bang it out and I fall asleep. But isn't that kind of one of the lines? <laughs> is it? Is it? I don't know. There's so many lines that I try to write some of them down because, and, and yes, I was writing notes in the theater, folks. Yeah. I am dedicated. This fucking guy. Hey, I didn't have a flashlight pen. Let's all calm down a second. But there were, there were, there were some lines that he said throughout the movie that just made me laugh. I mean, okay, you gotta, you gotta give him credit for this scene is when they're having the dinner and he says, destiny has brought me this lamb chop. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good line. Classic. <laughs> Uh, that that will be that will be on his uh, his actor's reel. So really, wow. So you're saying so overall, Joaquin Phoenix didn't do it for you. No, I just thought it was a pretty wooden performance overall. There wasn't a lot to it. He, you know, he, I think he did what he could, but I just I feel like Napoleon should be a more charismatic, interesting character because he he's very dour. I will he's say he's very dour. I mean, and the one scene where we should really get that charisma is the scene where and I po- I kind of nudged you when when he comes upon the when he comes back during the hundred days and he comes upon the fifth army which were one of his armies that are now a royalist army and he basically walks up to them and says like I'm here guys like would you you know you're my army why can't we do this together are you with me and mm-hmm. you know they're all cheer and they immediately are on his side but that actually you know that's based on I again mean, I don't know if the story is real but the, the story goes that Napoleon basically did come upon his army on the road and they pulled their guns on him and he basically pulled open his shirt and was like would you kill your emperor and then they all basically were like well no and mm-hmm. they joined him yeah, I mean, I, and, and clearly a lot of people did because, as they point out in this movie, despite the fact he was outnumbered, he still had 150,000 men with him at Waterloo. You know what's funny, Jason? That's actually the one scene where I find his acting unconvincing. Yeah. Is it is the scene where he... Maybe, and maybe, and you know what? This might even boil down to Ridley Scott as a director, too. I don't know. But that scene, I didn't buy it mm. that, based on that speech, they would just turn around and all of a sudden be on his side. I know it, I know it supposedly happened in history, mm. but... On the screen, I didn't fully buy into that moment. And I think that works better with the context because Napoleon was one of those guys that like engendered such fierce loyalty. Um, I mean, he was obviously uh, to to call him a divisive figure is maybe underselling it. But I mean, he was. And I I, I hate to compare anybody to Hitler, but he's like Hitler in that way, in that he was he was charismatic. And I, I don't know that he was doing the kind of crazy fascist shit that Hitler was doing speech wise, but. He was an emperor, so <laughs> I mean, he did. I mean, but in I, the sense that people had an unwavering loyalty to the guy for yeah. some reason, and 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 the idea that he shows up and people are just like, "Yeah, we're gonna join you." That seems reasonable to me. I mean, Jason, I just re- I just recently watched the movie uh, Chevalier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they did make a point at the end of that movie of saying when Napoleon came in, he reinstated a bunch of slavery laws. Yeah. So I think he, I think you could safely say he maybe saying some fascist fascist shit. Yeah, I mean he was you know he was he was of his era for sure. Yeah, uh, Napoleon did some good things and did some bad things, and uh, is a guy that we remember. Well, obviously, it's been long enough that we remember him with rose-colored glasses. Obviously, he's Which, a, yeah. a beloved historical figure. Thankfully, uh, Napoleon, you, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. yeah, thankfully. And, and that's why I, that's one of the reasons I am thankful this movie exists, because it doesn't look at him with with no. necessarily a positive spin. I mean, no. there's they don't pretend he w- didn't accomplish things, but it certainly sees him as a petulant man-baby, yeah, but which also he was. also really doesn't like portray him as some sort of genocidal maniac. Uh, like no. Hitler, like set on like uh, just conquering Europe for his own personal gain. No, he's got nuance to him, but he's also not trying to make you think that Napoleon was this great, wonderful person in yeah. history. Um, yeah, it's certainly not a propaganda piece either. No, uh, you know, to the to the point where I started seeing a few like little uh, similarities to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on it, and maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, but um, there were just like certain lines, like when he when he comes back to France and he's like, "I come back to this country and it's not the France I remember." Like it yeah. sort of sort of was like a make France great again kind of thing. And I'm certain that Ridley Scott is no fan of Donald Trump. Can't so imagine. no. So you heard it here first, uh, folks. Brendan Walls quote that Donald Trump is the 21st century Napoleon. Yeah, you minus all the first. minus all the positive stuff. <laughs> Um, there, oh, another Joaquin Phoenix line. I really, uh, and guys, this is the episode. We're not going to have bits and bobs. We're just going to talk. Yeah. Um, but this, this is another line that I really like is, uh, when Napoleon, again, one of his like man, baby outbursts, he's like, you think you're so great. Cause you have boats. Yeah. <laughs> About the British. <laughs> it was so good. Um, the look of this movie again, though, I go back to it. It looks gorgeous oh yeah uh, I, mean, I know you have an issue with one well, aspect of it my my issue is that clearly in in 2008 or whenever ridley made um uh kingdom of heaven he must have bought uh, an extra large box of blue gels because this whole movie uh, like it's just every battle seems to be with a blue filter on it and it's like guys we can see we're allowed to see color it's okay the thing about the napoleonic era it was very colorful and yeah. i want to see those colors pop and they don't pop it gets it's all very dark and brown and very like 2008 video gamey that's my uh that's a lot of my issue with the the whole uh marvel versus dc uh world is that dc is so like doing that thing where it's so like you know blue li- blue filters and darkness and blah blah, blah and marvel's so colorful it just like pops at you and i'm like guys it's okay yeah. w- adults we can handle the colors like i'm i'm not against a dark you know, a dark war movie. I mean, we've seen it plenty of times, but where it fits and, and in this era, like th- this isn't people skulking around the woods in camouflage. Yeah. These are guys out in open fields wearing, wearing multicolored uniforms and flying flags. And like, I want to see all that. Uh, Cause you think about, um, uh, Henry V, the, uh, the Lawrence Olivier, Henry V, like think of how gorgeous that movie was yeah. in Technicolor with all those. Cause again, the mid- middle ages also extremely colorful. I'm wondering if this is like a Ridley Scott thing where he's like, he's using these muted colors in these scenes where the, the the tone does shift quite a bit. Yeah, and, and tone-wise, yeah, makes sense. I mean, these are dark battle scenes, you know, like at Austerlitz and, and later at Waterloo where it's like raining and dark and muddy and like everything, you know, it, it, it totally, it makes sense. It's just, I like color. I know. I like color too. Yeah. I like all the colors. Mm. Every single one of them. We, we, we love the colors. There's, uh, there's red. Everybody loves red. Orange. Of course, we all know skin color. That's about it. 
Um, when he says skin color, we all know what he means. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So the, the look of the movie and um okay. And we need to talk about Vanessa Kirby because you said that this is this is the performance that you preferred. Yes. Um. So please tell us. I just think that she holds her own. I think that the the Josephine is a compelling character. Uh, you know, she's trying to uh, make things work at home and she misses him clearly at one point. She's like, please don't leave. And, uh, but she sticks, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do. He's Napoleon, baby. He's fucking Napoleon. That's your, uh, so Jason's take on Vanessa Kirby's acting. He's fucking Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> she's fucking Napoleon. I mean, I just, I think she, I just think she's a good foil for, for Napoleon. She kind of, it's clear like she's a woman that keeps him on track. Well, and I love the early, the early thing they do with her so that we're not just watching this, either a damsel or a manipulative, manipulative person or whatever. Is that one of the first, very early on in the movie when he tells her, like he gives her like, you know, I'm the man and you're the woman and blah, blah, blah. And she tells him, she's like, you will obey me. Like she does that whole line. Remember when she's telling him basically like, you s- tell me you need me right now. Yeah. Like you, you, you can't live without me. Yeah. And while apologizing for sleeping around, yeah. she then turns it around and makes yeah. her she, makes him uh, subservient. Yeah, she he wants to show his dominance, and she lets him, and then re- immediately reestablishes her own. It's, it, which is so interesting because you're watching this guy, this Napoleon. You're watching Napoleon be so successful and and so uh, you know dominant in all these battles, and then he comes home to Josephine, and it, the tables turn. I do like the one reference to his height. I know you said that he wasn't actually short. Like that's that's a myth that people say. Like, oh, he's this little tiny man. He wasn't. He was, he was about five eight by modern standards. He and it's because he was listed at five two as his height. But that was in in the old French system, and yeah. that was a little different. So he was about five eight by modern, which is only a you know a little bit shorter than me. But the one five, reference ten. The one reference to his height is that bizarre scene yeah. where he goes to Egypt and he there's like a sarcophagus yeah. and he and he puts the little apple box down so he could step up yeah, and yeah. go face to face and then he just kind of shoves the skeleton aside a little puts his hat on it shoves the skeleton aside and then gets up. Well, it, well, it's like he gets up close to it he puts his face right up to it right and is kind of like smelling him and then touches the side of his head and then the the mummy just kind of like slides over to the side a bit and he's like oh okay and then he like grabs his hat and gets down off there like whoops. I don't know what that was about. Is that maybe that's a reference to a historical thing I'm not aware of, but it just seemed very weird. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, maybe his fascination with death. Was he a man fascinated by death? That's, well, I mean, how can you not be when you're a, a, a general in the Napoleonic Wars? Yeah. Hey, you know what? I got to give him credit. He was taking the weapons away from civilians. Nobody's doing that now in that's America. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was making things safe, Napoleon. He was securing Europe. <laughs> well, I also want to say the the least believable thing about this whole movie, Jason, is that I was listening closely when they were when they were doing when they were having their wedding because yeah. they were announcing when each of them was born. Yeah. And according to the years, and maybe the, I'm sure this is true of the actual people, but the, but Napoleon was a year younger than uh, um, Josephine. Josephine. Yeah. And I was like Vanessa Kirby and Joaquin Phoenix are not the same age. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's that's a big leap. <laughs> <laughs> like he he doesn't look like he's 75, but I mean he is a 48 year old man that looks 40. Yeah. Vanessa Kirby is a 35 year old woman who looks 25. Like that's just that's just how it is. <laughs> that that part I was like okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I said earlier, like, um, that I wasn't particularly a fan of, of 
Joaquin's performance, but also I gotta say too, like I don't know who I would cast in this role. Like a lot of movies, a lot of Jean times they'll have Dujardin. somebody, maybe. But I mean, I, I just I don't know enough great French actors, uh, and the ones I know are probably dead. Um, I do, I do I do now want to see the Gerard Depardieu version of this. Yeah, that would be that would be have to be made by Steven Seagal's production company. Oh Lord, yeah, I know. What's it called? Russian Allegiance or something? <laughs> Probably Seagulls, 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 Seagulls. Yeah, okay. No, Seagulls, like Seagull bladders. Oh. (laughs) What? Seagull bladders? What are you talking about? Like a gallbladder from the sea. All right. Well, Jason, um, there were some some excellent trailers before the film. Yes, there were. Uh, We got got Aquaman 2. Sure, yeah. Aquaman Looks like two, a, what everybody's waiting for. A big um, CGI glob fest. I heard the uh, I heard the post credit scene of the Flash involved uh, uh, Aquaman uh, drunkenly falling into a puddle. Thanks for ruining it for me. <laughs> um, the Flash, by the way, you can check out on my other podcast. Yes. Uh, we also saw uh, a trailer for Argyle. Which actually looks kind of interesting. It's from the ki- director of Kingsman. Yes, Matthew Vaughn. Uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, no eh, interest whatsoever. Whatever. It, you know what? I'll say this. It looks a little more interesting than the last one, but still not that interesting. But here's my problem with it, okay? Ghostbusters is a fucking comedy. Why did we make an Amblin Entertainment film? You and I, because we made it. Yeah. I'm just regretting it now. Why did, like, Ghostbusters Afterlife was a fucking Amblin Entertainment. And it was only made because people were so mad about women being Ghostbusters. I'm not going to get into this. But anyway. <laughs> It, whatever. Um, don't care. Love Paul Rudd. Still don't care. Uh, Book of Clarence, which is like... The, but, the, yeah, that's the most interesting trailer I think I think, saw. yeah. That one and Argyle are the ones it, I would I would stick it out. It kind of has the vibe of a black life of Brian, but maybe a little more serious. But uh, still with a sense of humor, yeah, it looks like. Yeah, with a sense of humor, for sure. I, I, I think it looks great. And then, of course, my favorite trailer was the Rogers 5G uh, movie coming yeah. out soon. Yeah, the that I thought was a car commercial, but nope. It was a 5G commercial. You were wrong. And we got infected with the with the evil uh, vaccine uh, radio disease while we were getting the advertisement. And now we are pawns of the globalists. Wait, Cuba Gooding Jr. invented it? Yep. You said it was radio. So. Yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. as radio. <laughs> he was still in character when he invented it. Oof, that movie does not age well. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so I I don't I don't know what else to say. I, I will say that Jason, if I ever seduce you, um, which I I do try on yeah. a daily basis, um, I will look at you and say, if you look down, you'll see a surprise. Yeah, yeah, we didn't mention that, but yeah, he does look down and sees a surprise, which I assume is her muff, and um, the scene just kind of hangs there for a sec with him staring at it, and then we cut away. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and let's let's mention the end of this movie. Uh, Napoleon yeah. dies, and, and the. Um, and again, in the most hilarious way possible. There's just the this is the silhouette from behind, and he just slowly falls to his left and dies. He's, he's wearing the hat, and it's like, okay, by this point, he's theoretically been there for six years, and he's still wearing his full uniform. By the way, Brian, I, I by the way, I buy into that. I buy into that. I think this is just maybe of the time that people just didn't take off their clothes, and that's why we had so much like clothes on sex. Mm. Was that people didn't want to take off their clothes because oh, think I, of how bad they would smell. It was rude. Yeah. It'd be, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be rude to take off your clothes, Jason. It was a very formal society. It was, it was. And they don't know what they were missing, man. <laughs> well, Jason and I are both naked right now. Always, always. Uh, uh, ever since we, we recorded in that attic that was super hot, we have to record naked. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Yeah. It was not an attic, Jason. It was a closet. Thank yeah, you. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not pretty much. It was a closet. At, uh, a closet in the attic. <laughs> we were not in an attic. 
Well, it was the attic. I mean, it basically was the attic. It was like the third floor of a house. Oh, you're talking about that place. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just talking about when we actually got into my closet. Oh, yeah. Well, that was fun, too. Yeah, good times. Um, but that's not about... That's not anything to do with this movie. Yeah. But um, I, I... And I will say the, la- the last thing I, I, I thought was funny is that um, when Napoleon loses that last battle, Waterloo, um, spoiler alert. <laughs> he, uh, he's, t- he's talking to these like younger kids and like talking to them, like, wh- while he's g- being transported to, uh, exile again. Yeah. And he says like, you know, Hey, my strategy, there's nothing wrong with my strategy. Cause I know geometry. It's just that my marshals don't know how to interpret it properly. And remember you can, <laughs> you always have to place the blame where it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. This fucking guy is still not taking the hit. Oh, they love him, sir. All these, all these, like these, like. I don't even know what you call them, but the, the boys that serve on ships and yeah. basically run ammo. And by the way, that also felt very Trumpy to be like, no matter what happens, you're not taking the blame. Absolutely. No, he knows he knows how to run a military, Napoleon Bonaparte. That's right. Also surprising, I mean, and, and surprising in history, too. Um, and as Wellington points out to him, by the way, uh, the Duke of Wellington in this movie, don't know who plays him, but uh, very scowly. Uh, usually, oh my. usually when I see Duke Wellington, he's a little more a little more dashing in movies I've seen, but he's is, very scowly. Is this the guy that yeah. they keep cutting to? Yeah, yeah. Okay, literally every single time, it, I, I thought it was like, I thought it was kind of a, a, a funny, just his scowl in general. And then I laughed so hard because they cut to him in the exact same facial expression, yeah. like for like, like 10 times in a row. Very angrily watching the battle. Why are why are you still cutting to him? It's the, nothing's changing. I think we just need to keep showing how annoyed he is because he's because his his basic view is like, well, we got to do this now. We got to finally deal with him. We should have dealt with him before, but now we got to deal with him. And then at the and then at the end, of course, as in history, as it, as what happened the first time, he doesn't get executed. He gets exiled. Yeah, and uh, that's then that's really the aristocracy looking out for themselves at that point. It's like, oh, we certainly wouldn't have you killed because then you might kill us. Exiled with a with a salary of two million francs. Yeah, well, that's the first time, and then yeah, the second time they they because the first time they just send him to Elba, and that's close enough that he's able to sail back pretty easy. But the second time they send him to St Helena, which is off the coast of Africa, so he's not uh, not getting back from there, and he didn't. No, he just dies there six years, and then he croaks. <sighs> well. Jason, any other things you want to talk about for this movie? Uh, just to point out, like, I mean, as usual, Ridley Scott is a master at filming really cool battle scenes, and that is on full display in this movie. And there's a good amount of them. They're not the whole movie, but I uh, really like them. And so if you want to see this kind of Napoleonic-era combat in a much wider view that probably hasn't been seen since Waterloo, uh, check it out. Oh, and I want to end by... Uh, two little details. I think they were suggesting throughout the movie that he was getting fatter, and mm-hmm. I think that's the, because his coat was like less and less buttoned up as the movie went on. Well, but by the end, he's wearing that the famous Napoleon outfit with kind of the white like coat yeah. and everything. Yeah, it was making him appear to be bigger. Well, um, and that's at the point because because as you said, like he, that's the scene where there's like there his wife says, says about him being fat, and he says, you know, the destiny brought me this lamb chop. Yes, <laughs> I like to eat. He says. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention um, is. Did you notice that in that one scene where he's shaving, he's mid-shave, 
And when they start that scene, he's already cut himself. Yeah, he cuts himself. He's I already wonder, got blood. Like, did he, he? I assume Joaquin Phoenix must have actually cut himself. No, I no. It, it, it's it's there before the scene starts. Oh, okay. So I know it's just. I think no. I I don't think he actually cut himself. I think it's a funny detail mm. that like we're starting off the scene. It's like oh, he's already like he doesn't know how to shave. Probably like what's going on here? Hey, fuck you. We all make mistakes. I've cut myself plenty shaving. I know, but it's but to have this purposely don't in this you scene. Judge him. To have this purposely. It's there in to the point se- out bigots like you, Brendan. Oh, God damn you, Jason. I just I just think it's funny to put that in the scene because this very much is a portrait of an imper- imperfect man who's always been portrayed as this, like, in a lot of things, as a, a, a you know, a great leader and great war man. hero and everything. And portrayed as a villainous warlord. And it just feels like Ridley Scott starting out that scene by showing that he's already made an error. <laughs> like, it just, yeah. it just, it, it stuck out to me. Yeah, his uh, only error he made really was trusting his subordinates, right? Yeah. <laughs> his only error was being a little slipshoddy with a razor. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anything else, Jason? That's all I got for now. Do you got any details on this thing? Uh, well, this movie's still in theaters, so I don't have yeah. a whole lot, but let me just take a look here while you vamp. Yeah, we went to the uh, local theater to see this movie, the local uh, uh, Cineplex, which, by the way, they took out all their carpet and replaced it with concrete. And that's weird, man. I expect a theater to have carpet. I am fully in the pro-carpet lobby for the theater. Now, I don't work at a theater. But I understand if you work at a theater, you probably don't want carpet because you don't want to have to vacuum it. But you know what? Fuck you. That's what I say. Do your job. And on that note, um, I'll just I'll just <laughs> I'll just note here that uh, not not a whole lot. I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, um, I do know that originally um, it was not going to be Vanessa Kirby playing the role. It was going to be uh, Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer, an English actress, much like uh, Vanessa Kirby. Doctor Who. Uh, that's a different Jody, I think. Yeah, not her. <laughs> uh, but she was in, but she was in Ridley Scott's uh, one of Ridley Scott's previous films, The Last Duel. Okay. Which, if you haven't seen it, folks, I highly recommend. It's basically like a modern retelling of Rashomon, okay. with uh, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. And Ben Affleck is fantastic in it. If you want to see another modern day retelling of Rashomon from thirty years ago, check out Run Lola Run. Hmm. Uh, this will shock you, Jason, as you mentioned earlier, uh, specul- speculatively, yeah. um, Ridley Scott <laughs> has planned a director's cut of Napoleon okay. um, and hopes he'll be able to release it in theaters and on Apple TV after the initial theatrical release. And this director's cut apparently explores more about uh, Josephine. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, she, I think if, if anybody got the shaft in the movie, it was her. And I think I jokingly said this exact runtime <laughs> earlier, Scott uh, Ridley Scott said... It will run four hours and ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, this movie, again, it's currently made $136 million. It's still in theaters at the time of this recording. I'm sure by this point it's made its money back, or at least very, very close to it. Um, this movie, well, actually, here, here we go. This movie will need to gross between five to $600 million worldwide uh, in order to break even. Yeah. Now... Now that I'm looking at it, Jason, I'm kind of changing my tune. 136 million is the worldwide so far. So, so far, maybe I'm interested it's... to see how, how it, well, what kind of business it does in France. If the French really give this yeah. movie their support, or if it's uh, not what they want. The most interesting thing to me, Jason, is this movie has a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is a borderline rotten. Uh, with an average rating of 6.3 out of 10. And consensus on the site reads, Ridley Scott is intent on proving the Emperor has no clothes and Napoleon, a slyly funny epic with brav- bravura, bravura, 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, set pieces whose divided runtime keeps it from outright conquering. Um, many people, the main things that are getting praise are the, the epicness of the film, the epic scale of the film, battle scenes, and Phoenix and Kirby's performances, except for one of these critics <laughs> sitting before you. Um, well, some people took issue with the length and Ridley Scott's direction, actually, because uh, they felt they feel it felt bloated. Um, although in The Guardian, Peter Bradshaw gave this movie a full five stars and called it a thrilling bi- biopic, saying that Scott doesn't withhold the old-fashioned pleasures of spectacle and excitement. Phoenix is the key to it all, a performance as robust as the glass of burgundy he knocks back, preening, brooding, seething, and triumphing. Uh, but... Like I said, it was uh, kind of mixed. Um, Timeout gave it three out of five. They said Ridley Scott's beefy account of Napoleon's ri- rise to power looks great. It's served with some panache, but crucially, lacks flavor. Jason, of course, talked about how this movie maybe not super historically accurate, uh, but Ridley Scott doesn't give a fuck. He's an 88-year-old man, yeah. and he really doesn't care what you think. And I understand. At the end of the day, you want to make a movie. Yeah. Uh, his dismissal of the inaccuracies was uh, Napoleon dies 10 years later someone writes a book and someone takes that book and writes another and 400 years later there's a lot of imagination when I have issues with historians I ask excuse me mate were you there no well shut the fuck up then okay I'm just reading this now Jason his response to French critics the French don't even like themselves <laughs> that is a direct quote from Ridley Scott. Reminds me of in uh, My Fair Lady where, where Henry Higgins sings that the French don't actually care what you say somehow, so long as you pronounce it properly. And uh, I think that's a good note to wrap us up. So, Jason, why don't you put all your thoughts into a little package and, uh, as I mean, much bigger than your own, of course. Mm-hmm. Certainly, obviously. And uh, t- <laughs> tell us what you thought overall of Napoleon. I mean, I, and, and as I pointed out, I've been a Ridley fan for a long time. Gladiator, one of my favorites. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven, great movie. Uh, I mean, Alien, come on. Legend is a thing that exists that I haven't seen, but I've heard things about it. Um yeah, White Squall. Have you ever seen White Squall? I have not. That's a great Ridley movie. Uh, I saw it however many, 30 years ago or whatever, and I remember liking it. Um, this movie is, yes, the spectacle in this movie is fantastic. You cannot go wrong with a Ridley Scott movie for its um, spectacle, especially his, his historical stuff. Love getting a, a look at this. Um, uh, 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 Vanessa Kirby, fantastic. Joaquin Phoenix, the weak link in this casting. And, you know, this movie is kind of a meh for me. Um like I say, I love the spectacle of it, but I, I didn't jive with the, the story as much, and it just felt like there was something missing in the characterization of Napoleon. Joaquin Phoenix, great actor, but just didn't resonate with me, and I would not put this at the top of my of my Ridley historical epics, um, but it's still worth seeing. Like, I mean, you can't argue, the money's on screen. Like, we, we get to really see it play out, and, and if you're interested in this area, or this era of warfare, please, even, yeah, see it. Even if it may not set the world on fire, it's definitely watchable, but there's better movies out there. There's got to be a good Napoleon movie out there somewhere. And one of these days, we're really going to get the, the Napoleon movie that we deserve, Brian. And, and maybe that movie is Waterloo. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe people... Who plays it? Is it Rod Steiger? The Rod Napoleon? Steiger plays the French sure, General I'm, Napoleon. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he also Valkyries it. Yeah, uh, maybe not, though. Well, we're in for a real treat if he doesn't. Um, yeah, like, sorry, you have anything else? Okay. Yeah, like I was, 
I was not sure. Like I was certainly enjoying parts of it when I, I was certainly enjoying myself when I was watching it. There were definitely long stretches um, where I not tuned out, but kind of became less and less interested. Mm-hmm. At some point, when I realized it was going to be, it was going to run the whole gamut of like up until he died. I was like, all right. All right, let's get to the next battle. Okay, the next battle. I actually found the relationship stuff more interesting than all of the political mm. back and forth, like, you know, I'm the emperor now, I'm taking over, blah, 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 getting exiled. Like, that stuff to me was more interesting because it's something that's less, that, well, I, that, you, that we've seen less of. Yeah, and in this movie, obviously, the relationship is much more of the focus, and the political stuff is actually pretty basic. Like, we, you know, we get a little bit of it, but we don't, yeah. obviously, don't dig deep. Well, why would we? It's a movie. It's not, a, again, it's not a historical novel. This isn't like, this isn't uh, an All the President's Men about no. Napoleon. No. This isn't um, a hit piece. <laughs> But I would say it's pretty average. Like I, I would say it's it's a it's fine. It's yeah. it's uh, certainly a movie that uh, I probably I probably don't really need to see it again. Like it's it feels like a one and done. Um, I I will I will say um, I I think I like Joaquin Phoenix's performance more than you did, but. I also think Vanessa Kirby is kind of the secret weapon of this movie. I think she's she's very very good. Um, she's got. Her her vibe, like her whole energy, is just uh, incredible. Like she she's, and, and I mean she's been in a lot of other movies and uh, she's been great in them. But she's been in a lot of movies where they she doesn't really get to highlight herself a lot. Like Hobbs and Shaw. Like what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> when oh by the way, another movie where they try to say that uh, she she plays she plays Jason Statham's younger sister, but only by about three years. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, movie, sure. So my question to you, Brendan, is on a scale from The Conqueror to Lawrence of Arabia, where do you place this? Oh, it's, it's well, <laughs> let's not get crazy here, but it's certainly, um, if The Conqueror is a zero yeah. and Lawrence of Arabia is a 10, it's probably somewhere around a six, probably. Okay. Uh, Talk, so you're talking like a far and away? Listen, I liked it a lot better than Alexander. Let's say oh, that. okay. Well, all right. So, <laughs> so we'll, Alexander definitely closer to The Conqueror end of things. And can I just say that the, the one thing that this movie does that... Uh, did make me um, think about Alexander and appreciate this movie more was that I think in that movie when they tried to show Alexander's personal life it was more of a like oh look at this guy he's weird because he was like he was possibly gay and let's talk about that how crazy and weird that is and that just felt really like odd and like especially at a time where it really probably wasn't that crazy if you might have a few male lovers in your life and and it was Oliver Stone so it's always going to be a bit odd when he tries to talk about stuff like that the guy made Savages. <laughs> Which I haven't seen, but was, I've heard was, was is that nuts. Him? That's the one with the three ways and the three-way relationship and the drug running. I know Savages is one of his okay, movies. Yeah. I have not seen it, but um, I, I've heard you, you've told me, yeah. you've told me to watch it because it's crazy. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think we're both, I think we're pretty much both on the same level as far as the overall movie. I think it was average. I think it's, um... I think they could have narrowed the focus as well. Although I do think, again, if you do that, you lose a lot of the Kirby performance and maybe you make a lesser film. And hey, maybe the four-hour and ten-minute version of this is a better movie. Yeah. If there's more focus on Vanessa Kirby, that can't be a bad That's thing. That's it. I mean, d- despite my my thoughts on Joaquin Phoenix's performance, I, yeah, I am I am interested to see the director's cut of this and to see if it maybe fills it out a bit more and, and gives it the kind of extra bit of oomph that uh that the kingdom of heaven director's cut did for for the theatrical cut and maybe that's how i'll rewatch it like i don't i don't consider i don't think i would sit down and watch this again but if there is a director's cut um i could see myself doing a couple couple sit downs and ingesting that absolutely yeah especially if there's like another hour's worth of footage in it like it's clear that that adds a bunch of stuff they're all there almost be another hour and a half yeah so 
Maybe it makes it worse, though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. Ridley, you keep being you. Um, dire- directing these crazy epic movies on time and on budget. You can't really fault him for that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If, as long as he can deliver a movie on time, on budget, and have it make money, he'll keep working until he's dead two years from now. The dude reshot part of all the money in the world just because of the Kevin Spacey, Spacey thing and still got it done in a relatively small amount of time. Because he hired the most efficient actor known to man, Christopher Plummer. Canadian legend. Canadian legend, General Chang. Have we not heard the chimes at midnight, Captain? Yep, that's the one. And, of course, Snow Falling on Cedars, my favorite film that I've never seen. I don't. Sure. I, I just remember seeing the trailer on a VHS of something else a million times. Mm-hmm. But there we go. We talked about Napoleon. Um, so... Oh. We're gonna uh, we're gonna move on, and we'll we'll be going back to the list next week. We're gonna be talking about a little movie out of 1949, Ooh. Uh, directed by a Mr. William Wellman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna be talking about a movie, a movie called Battleground. Uh, members of the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division are fighting for their country amidst the rugged terrain of Bastogne, Belgium, oh. in December 1944. World War II. What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Holly and his compatriots have already seen one of their own perish under enemy fire the men try to rebuff another series of nazi attacks but what they really need is a change in the weather without clear skies they'll never get the air support they need this should be really interesting because of course i've watched and i'm sure you have too a band of brothers i have not oh well you should it's fantastic but there is actually an episode of band of brothers that is simply called bastone and it's all about that uh, particular battle so uh, this should be interesting. I'm interested to see what 1949 has to say about this uh, battle. And this is number 41 on the list. Um, and uh, we have uh, Van Johnson as our star. And Jason, you're going to love this. Third build in this movie is Ricardo Montalban. Fuck yes. And I really hope the microphone picked up that fart that Jason just let out. <laughs> I can only I can only hope. Uh, and also, uh, And also, hey, James Whitmore. From uh, Shawshank Redemption, he's oh. uh, the little old man. You mean, uh, uh, the guy that hangs himself? Yeah, what's his name in that movie? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the guy was here, you know. You know what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about. You guys have seen TBS. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's where we've all watched it, right? Of course. Uh, Brooks. 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 That's right, Brooks was here. Yeah. So there you go. So so Brooks, uh, Khan, and uh, Van Johnson. Are Van Johnson, of course, a great like like that's like a Stewie Stewie reference on Family Guy. Oh, you look like Van Johnson. Hmm. Very much so. We have never t- we and we have not talked about him at all in this no. podcast. Weirdly, you'd think Van Johnson would be in a slew of British movies. <laughs> Guy named Van. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, down by the river. <laughs> mm. That's for the kids. That's for the kids. Yeah, only yeah, only youngins would know that reference. <laughs> um, but there you go. We're gonna talk about Battleground next week. Um, but until then, Jason, they can find us everywhere. We are on all the podcast apps. Our home base is Age of Radio. Go to ageofradio.org/slash for screen. You can find us on Facebook, uh, and you can find us on X, Twitter, whatever, um, and Blue Sky at FSAC Pod, as in for screen. Podcast, Jason. You, you uh, are next. No, say your beast, Jason. Jason at Jason D McLeod on Twitter and Blue Sky, and that's M A C L E O D. That is correct. Well, we've had a lot of fun here today, folks, talking about uh, old Napoleon Bonaparte, and we made we didn't make a single boner joke about his name. Oh wow! Well, too late. It's too late for that. But just so you know, his boner is in our thoughts. Well, there you go. He saved it. It's not really a joke. That's just fact, and I'm thinking about it right now. This is his rigid little boner. Oh, and uh, and you're gaining. One of your own. Thank you. 
but yeah, we've all, we've had a lot of fun today, and uh, you know, it's good that you people listen, and uh, we're thankful for that. We love you, and we hope all the best for you in this new year. So, until next time, Brendan, I just got to say to you, God save the king. And Joaquin, don't be upset about Jason's thoughts and stop your crying. And for Screen and Country, I'm Jason. And I'm Brendan. Godspeed to you. And save the king. And save that king as best as you can. Un Pierre Paul, un Jacques Autum, peu m'importe comment il se nomme, s'il est un homme, un homme, un homme, je n'exige pas un Apollon qui s'abrouillait dans les salons. Ni un type fort comme Samson Pour vous que j'ai un mate en bon Il n'a pas besoin d'être un milliardaire Qu'il soit bon ou somme égal Il n'a pas besoin d'être un grand lumière Star du cinéma, ni prince royal. Je cherche un homme, un homme, un homme. Qu'il s'appelle Pierre, au Paul, aux hommes. Pour vous qu'il donne son maximum. Je cherche un homme, un homme.